Welcome to episode 286 of the Reformed Brotherhood. I'm Jesse. And I'm Tony, and we are proud members of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Hey, brother. Hey, brother. Should we give everybody a heads up that we're about to embark on a mini-series of sorts? It's all within the confines of this whole massive omnibus and bringing together on theology, but that we're going to be getting after sin for the next couple of episodes here. So it's going to be both. It's going to start with like a little of that law, and I'm sure the gospel just creeps in because that's gospel's going to gospel. Yep. And so the good news is going to be in there. But as a heads up, we've got a little bit of some heavy things to talk yeah, about that's coming we up. We do. Yeah. So but before it gets too heavy, you want to do affirmations, denials? Do you want to deny first? Uh, yeah, we can do denials first. Okay. What are you denying? So I'm de- denying not joining our Telegram channel. So <laughs> okay. we, uh, we've got this Telegram channel going. Uh, it's not a ton of people in there, but it's a good group. We had a, we had a delightful discussion yesterday morning about um, the Lord's name and whether it's more appropriate or more preferable to translate it as Yahweh or to retain Lord with capital, capital letters. Uh, and it was just a, it was just a pleasant discussion. Uh, we, we covered all sorts of topics in the pursuit of that question, things like bibliology, um, you know, inspiration, um, history. We talked about the regulative principle. So it was just a good, a good conversation. So if you, dear listener, want to be a part of such delightful conversations, you can go to t the letter t dot me slash reform brotherhood. Or if you are just interested in getting the occasional notification of a new episode or if we're going to do a contest or something along those lines, you can go to t.me slash love the brotherhood. And that is a one directional communication. But the group is really where it's at. So I'm just denying right now not joining the Telegram group. If you haven't joined it, why haven't you joined it? That is the question, isn't it? It is the and, question. And to clarify, to, by going to t.me backslash reform brotherhood, that's going to get you in. It's basically like a giant group chat mm-hmm. of like-minded brothers and sisters. Yep. And you can engage in that as much as you like. I think there's yep. some in there that just like to let it fly by and see what's being said. Yep. And there are others. And uh, there's like all kinds of popcorn conversation, right? So sometimes we'll get in a topic or a thread and we'll chat for a little while. And then somebody will be, somebody recently suggested that we need to have t-shirts made that say adventures in Romans one and that just kind of popped in right in the middle of everything else. And I thought that was hilarious. So it is really kind of a different way to interact with a bunch of people. It's kind of a, we're not the first, but it's a massive experiment and let's just have a great giant group conversation and see what happens. Yeah. And there, there are some uh, features that we haven't quite made use of. Um, I think it's a, it's a new platform that people aren't used to. But um, like you can do nested conversations. So if there's a particular yes, topic that you want to uh, reply to, you can reply to the comment and then you can actually go back to the original comment and do view replies. And then it starts like a separate sub chat. So everything, everything you say still shows up in the main chat, but it's marked as a reply to something. So then someone can jump in there. Um, like I said, people are getting used to it. It's a platform most people haven't used, um, at least not in this way. Um, but I think as we get used to it, as we learn it, I think it's going to be really great. Um, we did, we said this conversation started off with the polls. So we're going to do things like polls. Um, we can do all sorts of other stuff. Uh, we can start other sub channels if we want to, if there's a, a group of people that want to have a, like a reform brotherhood sub channel, um, we can make that happen. But yeah, check it out. And um, you can, you know, if, if it's too much for you and you need to take a break, you can always mute the notifications. Um, it really is a pretty versatile channel. And what, I, what I'm really enjoying about it is it doesn't suffer from the same kind of like, uh, what do I want to call this? The same kind of like chaos mongering that Facebook does or Twitter right. does. I agree. Where, you know, it's not, nef- I don't think it's nefarious, but because Facebook is privileging threads that move quickly and have lots of responses and lots of interaction, and those also just happen to be the ones that are the controversial ones because people are arguing with each other, the Facebook and Twitter algorithms actually privilege the kind of conversation that as Christians we just don't want to have. And this just doesn't have anything like that. So check it out. You can go to the letter t.me slash Reform Brotherhood. If you don't have Telegram yet, it should bring you to a link that'll give you instructions for how to get Telegram. And if you do have Telegram, it should jump you straight in that channel. We did have someone who told us that they kept on jumping in and then jumping out 
every time they would close their app, it like kicked them out of the group. I think it was because that person had not made a comment yet when they joined the group. So I think if you don't make a comment when you join the group, if you close your app, then it actually, it kind of assumes you didn't really mean to join the group. So jump on in, say hello, and then join the conversation. Yeah. We're, again, we're kind of on the margins with this a little bit because it's just a new and fun way to interact with people. Yeah, We've tried a bunch of stuff. People, if they've listened to us for some time, know that we've done the Facebook thing. We've done Twitter. By the way, did you see that almost, I would say every week now in our email, I get that email from Twitter. It's like, we miss you, Reform Brotherhood. I'm always <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, I bet you do. Yeah, We're not coming back. It's true. It's true. We may someday, but probably, probably Never. not for a long time. Never. It's not going to happen. We're So this is just, I appreciate you starting this whole thing because it's a fun way to get some more. It, also, it's like, it feels more direct. Of course yeah, it, it is, is in a way. Direct. I mean, yeah. it, it feels more direct because it is more direct. Exactly. I, I think that we're, this is like a whole different topic. The closer we can get to the way we normally communicate, like in real life with each other, the better the communication actually is, the more we're likely to feel that the people we're conversing with are real people instead of just names and faces on a screen. So this is not quite the same. It's not even not quite. It's not the same as sitting in a room and chatting with somebody, but it's a little bit closer than uh, Facebook post is or a Twitter feed, Twitter tweet or whatever it's called. Twitter tweet. Twitter I've been tweet? off Twitter for less than less than two months and I can't even remember how to use social media terms. But um, yeah, it's great. I'm really excited. Uh, some of the some of the sort of like classic old school people that have been with us since like day one, like Chuck Murphy um, and Pete Smith are in the group. Um, you know, and then we've got some people that I've never interacted with who are, are, um, just based on the way they talk seem to be longtime listeners, but I've never, never seen an email come through from them. So it's bringing people together in the reform brotherhood in a way that our other venues and other, other mediums didn't yet. So check it out. I'm really excited about it. Really look forward to seeing more people join. Here's what we need to do. You realize is we should take and push out on our format and put it into that group. So the, probably the first two channels or like sub threads we need to make are, and affirmations and denials thread and let everybody yeah. else participate there in their own affirmations and denials. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. What about you now? What are you denying? Changing the world. I'm going back to an oldie, but goodie. I'm doing my best in our little conversation here to disguise the fact that it feels like there's a Mack truck parked in my sinuses right now. So it's <laughs> just so I'm going to get ahead of that so that people, when they reach out to us, are like, what's wrong with your mix? Why does Jesse's voice sound so weird? Why does it sound like he's so nasally? I am. And uh, this is life, right? So I'm denying once again against our own contingency. And there's been times where I think I read this from one of the Puritans, of course, this idea that when we really rightfully consider ourselves, we find that in every way, God is a threat to us, at least initially. And so I think about like Psalm 139 and this idea of being fearfully and wonderfully made. And for the longest time, I interpret that as fearfully as in full of awe, fear and awe, holy dread. And of course, I think that is very much in play there. But there's this other part that it's amazing to me that basically like plant spores could cause us so much harm and discomfort and derail us physically. It's amazing to me that the smallest things, like we talked about all the way through COVID, all these microscopic beings in our world could do such great and sometimes irreparable harm to our bodies that it is to be fearfully and wonderfully made is to fear and wonder at all of that altogether and yeah. to know that we are in every way at every time contingent upon God, his care his superintending will, and then, of course, his sustaining power, but the word of his power, which upholds all of the universe. So there's part of me in my own sinfulness that is basically denying against that, because if I'm honest, I don't like that. And on a day like today, I just don't like it. And yet that is like who we are. And it should drive us, as it is me right now, back into appreciation and to a little bit of like doxology before God saying like, you are great, you are masterful. The way that you've made us is the way you've made us for an intended purpose. And... I was in a conversation recently with somebody where I was emphasizing how when we come to God, really the normative default position, if you're going to fall on one side or the other, this idea of like, well, you know, man is more or less flawed, but not like essentially flawed or depraved, but not entirely depraved. It's far better to fall on the side of woe is me and that everything that was within me, though I'm not sinful as I could be or ought to be, I am in every way fully and wholly corrupt. And I got a little bit of pushback on that. Is it to say like, well, the example was that, well, Paul, of course, he's still talking about people as saints. I said, well, yes, that's very Lutheran. And I totally agree with you on that. But the bottom line is God delights as this great doctor to come and to save those who are sick and to identify predominantly and firstly as those who are ill and in need of healing. 
is to be in that group that he joyfully comes to restore, to convalesce. So it's always better, I think, to start there. In fact, I would say maybe as we get into this episode today, that that of course is where the scriptures have us begin, not necessarily initially, but of course very close to the beginning, we find that that's the position that we're in. And we ought to embrace that thing. So I'm denying against the fact that I'm contingent because if I had my choice, that's not what I would choose for myself. But there is a great kindness in God that he reminds us of our contingency by allowing us things like sinus infections and stuffy noses. And of course, these are very small things compared to what so many other brothers and sisters are under in their own physical condition. But this contingency is not fun. It's just, I mean, can we be honest for a second? Like, this is just not ideal. It's not ideal for me. Maybe you love it. It's just not ideal for me. No, no, I don't. I got, I got like two and a half hours of sleep last night. So (laughs) I know exactly. Actually, that's not true. I got like five and a half hours of sleep, but that's still not a lot of sleep. Yeah. It's funny. Uh, I had a a dear friend, uh, from the internet message me the other day, pointed out the irony of the fact that you on a previous episode, were talking about how, if you donate to the Patreon keeps us from sounding like we're in a tin can. And that happened to be an episode where I forgot to push record (laughs) or actually my, my, uh, storage on my recording device ran out. And so I had to use the zoom audio which caused you to sound like a tin can. So I threw myself right under that bus and was like, that was my fault. So I'll just throw that out here now. This is my fault. Although today, Jesse's voice is all his fault. You know, some people, when they get sick, they turn into like these deep, deep, sexy baritone like rumbles. I don't. I get like squeaky and weird. Yeah, this week, because it was just irritating my throat, it sounded like I was going through puberty again. And it, <laughs> it would happen at like the worst time. Like I'd clear my throat in preparation to say something hopefully profound in the midst of a meeting. And instead it'd be like, yeah, I agree with that. Like that's what would come out. <laughs> <laughs> You're like a kid wearing dad's suit to a, to like a meeting at school. Yeah. It like was a, like a presentation. It was, uh, yeah. Amazing. So en- enough of the negative. What about affirming? What are you affirming with? Yeah. So I, I, we were talking about this before the episode. I'm affirming with negotiating. So my, uh, and as the listener knows, uh, we recently expanded our family. Uh, I, I added another arrow to my quiver, I guess, is the biblical metaphor that some people like. And uh, as part of that, I, you know, my wife and I decided that we needed to, to upgrade our vehicle. Uh, we have a, a Ford Escape, which is a nice little smaller SUV. And then I had a tiny little Ford Fiesta, which is just a little bit bigger than like a rollerblade. Um, and, you know, New Hampshire winters can be really tricky getting around to that thing. Um, so we realized we need to upgrade. So, we, you know, we do all the work going into the dealer. And I had um, we had been talking about this since before the baby came. And, and so I had in preparation, um, one of the things I have through my work is I have access to the LinkedIn learning courses. So I took a negotiation like e-learning about how to negotiate. And you know what? I'm not going to give you the details just because I guess don't, a gentleman doesn't tell or whatever the phrase is. You don't want to get too far into how a negotiation works. <laughs> a gentleman but doesn't kiss and tell? Is that the I don't, phrase I don't know. you're going Whatever with? it is, I don't want to, I don't want to throw, <laughs> throw the negotiations out there too much. Uh, that's what happens between me and my car dealer is what happens between me and my car dealer. It's private. I'm going to just cut that line of thinking and just go straight to what I was going to say. Um, but I was able to negotiate a much better deal. Um, and actually I, I, because I was clued into some of the things that were going on during the negotiation, I was actually able to get a deal that worked for my budget, um, in a way that I think was fair to the dealership that, that gave them something they wanted, you know, they wanted to make a sale. Uh, and then I was able to get a good value for my trade-in, which then of course then gives them a vehicle that they can sell, which is something they wanted as well. But one of the principles in this negotiating thing was negotiate everything. Like there's never a reason to not negotiate. Um, sometimes the reason to not negotiate is because your time is more valuable to you than whatever you might garner from the negotiation. And that's actually a, a negotiation that you just had with yourself, right? So everything that you do, whether it's, you know, I, I work in a patient relations department. So I'm often talking with patients who are frustrated and want a solution. And one of the principles when you're learning to negotiate is never to be the person who opens, meaning like don't don't make your offer first, make the other person make their offer first, because then you hold all the leverage because you know what they're going to say. And sometimes that's like an amazing deal that you never would have thought to ask for. So even in interpersonal conversations or in my work where I'm trying to trying to sort of negotiate solutions and negotiate resolutions, I will say, what is it that you'd like us to do for you? And a lot of times it's as simple as they're like, well, I just want someone to say they're sorry to me. Oh, I can, I could do that. That's nothing off my neck to say I'm sorry. Cause I am sorry. Like if you had a bad experience, I'm very sorry that you had a bad experience. 
But instead of me trying to contribute a solution that might be very complicated because I think that's the right thing and I think that's what the patient wants. All they want is a simple, genuine apology. So by negotiating, you save yourself a lot of time. In a financial negotiation, you often save yourself a lot of money. Um, it's very rare. It's almost never the case that when someone comes into a negotiation, whether they know it or not, um, whether they know it or not, they never come into negotiation and actually throw out their bottom line as their first offer. It, it just doesn't happen. Um, you know, it's funny. I was watching uh, with with the baby. I'm up a lot more in the nights, and I was watching Pawn Star on uh, TLC. <laughs> and it's so funny to watch awesome. them negotiate after this because you can see the you can see the pawn people are like master negotiators and the people that come in are like total idiots. Right. And so you'll see them do the interview beforehand. And he's like, yeah, I mean, I really, and, and I don't, maybe, I, maybe they do know this. Maybe the people have access to the interview, but they do like the pre-interview and the guy's like, yeah, I won't take anything less than $2,700. And then he goes into the meeting and he's like, I want $2,700 for it. And I was like, why would you say that if you won't take less than 2,700? Tell him you want 3000 Tell him you want 3500 Maybe he'll give it to you. And if not, then it looks like you're conceding. So I would just encourage you, if you work somewhere that has access to like a like an e-learning library, like LinkedIn Learning or Linda Learning or something like that, look up a negotiation um, e-learning and take the time to take it because it really is a useful skill in a lot of different ways. Um, I would actually say, you know, I was able to take this for free as part of my employment. But I would actually say this isn't, I mean, this this um, negotiation course, because of the skills I learned through it, I really sound like I get a commission or like I'm like, I don't know, I don't get anything from this. But because I took this course, I saved, I saved several thousand dollars off of the cost of this vehicle. So the course would have been worth, even just if that one time I got what I was looking for, would have been worth several thousand dollars to take. So even if you have to like pay a little bit of money for it, I would consider taking it because it just really is a super, super useful skill. And if you order Tony's negotiating course <laughs> now, we'll throw in. Yeah. This, I'm, yeah if I'm you go to reformbrotherhood.com slash negotiations, <laughs> selling a new course. Just kidding. We're not the I reform think, forum. I think people, w- ooh, I think people would be uh, very surprised at how few things in life are actually negotiable. And I say that as somebody who's worked in the field of financial intermediation for my entire career. So there's some places where people think, especially if it involves money, well, it's just not negotiable. Or right. with banks, oh, banks seem like they have everything's in a contract. That's true, but there's a lot, still a lot of room there. So right. I'm going to uh, jump on real quick and go with one of my perennial recommendations, which is in this vein. And that is, if you want something that's going to help you, that's really great. The best book I've ever read, ever, and I've read a lot on this topic, is called Getting More by Stuart yeah. Diamond. And the reason why this book, in my opinion, is the best that's out there is because, first of all, this dude teaches negotiations at Wharton, so he knows what he's talking about. But second, this is one of the few books I've read in negotiation where the premise is that negotiating isn't a zero-sum game. And you touched on that. So this idea that you can trade things of unequal value, and people right. fail to think about that when it comes to negotiating. I think there's all these like Sun Tzu-like metaphors. I got to go in. It's a battle. I got to win the right. war. I got to carry it through the gridiron. That's a horrible way. So let me just read one quote from this book that I think hopefully will whet everybody's appetite and aligns exactly with what you said and really how you negotiated your own deal, which again is secret and private. What happens between you and your car and F&I guy stays between you and your F&I guy. So <laughs> here's the quote though. With almost anything, this is Stuart Diamond writing, with almost anything, don't you ever wonder if there's more? It doesn't have to mean more for me and less for you. It just has to be, well, more. And it doesn't necessarily mean more money. It means more of whatever you value, more money, more time, more food, more travel, more responsibility, more basketball, more TV, more music. This book is about more, how you define it, how you get it, how you keep it. So Definitely people should be interested in what they can do to negotiate better. It's also just really a lovely skill. And honestly, especially whether it's like big deals, like you work for a company and you're in charge of like the procurement or the facilities and you're negotiating multi-million dollar contracts, or you're just saying you would like to get a better deal on something at JCPenney. This also helps us to listen to each other more and value each other on both sides of the transaction. So I wholeheartedly agree. What a phenomenal affirmation. Yeah, just to sort of like, throw some real, some one more bit of real world application in, right? I, I, so one of the things that happens, or at least is happening in our house with the new baby is, you know, my wife and I both still have things that we need to do around the house and things that we want to do around the house. For example, I need two and a half hours away from the baby to record a podcast on Sunday afternoon. And so one of the things that happens is, you know, I, I might say, Hey, if you can get me two and a half hours, um, uninterrupted time so I can record the podcast, then what I'll do is I'll, I'll, I'll take your, 
you know, your afternoon that you planned on me with the baby so you can take a bath or so you can take a shower, so you can take a nap, right? And it's this idea of tradables. And this this is what happened during my negotiation with the car dealer is he wasn't able to give me something that I wanted. And so I counter offered by saying, well, but but you can give this to me instead. Right. And if you give this to me instead, then I'll give you this. And so what I said is, well, you can't give me that. But if you can sell me the car at this price, then I'll give you what you want, which is I'll buy the car today. I'll buy the car today off the lot, no strings attached. We're all done. You get a sale. Right. So, so that idea of it's not just about finding a number in the middle that, that both parties are okay with. Because everybody's going to want more money if they're selling or want to, to spend less money if they're buying. But you can offer things that are tradables that are not necessarily financial that can make the situation a better deal for someone. So it, it apparently was worth it to them to not sell the car for as much money to someone they might sell it to the next day who isn't going to go negotiate down. It was worth it to them to lose that money in order to make the sale today. So I just think it's a it's a skill that's worthwhile. Even in like, even to bring it back to like theological topics, which is obviously what we do here, even something like an apologetics encounter, asking a question like, what evidence would convince you? Or what evidence do you need to hear that would actually open your eyes to this? What, what could I say to you? What, uh, what evidence could be presented to you that would make you question your presupposition? Well, if they say, I don't, there is no evidence. Well, now you're done. Like you, you've, you've saved all that time. Now there probably actually is right in the grand scheme of things, but you've saved all that time. And now you can actually start to talk about, uh, well, okay. So, so this is really not a rational conversation. You're claiming that this is all about rationality. You're telling me or that I'm an irrational person because I believe in quote, a sky daddy or whatever pejorative term they use. But you can say, but now this actually isn't a rational conversation for you either, because you're not open to any evidence that would possibly convince you. So now you've actually moved the conversation forward because you simply asked a negotiating question. What do I need to give you to close the deal is essentially how that question comes out in an apologetics encounter. Um, and then if they give you an answer, well, I would need to, I would need to see solid, solid historical evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Great. Let me get a thousand different books that prove that to you, you know, on, on these four minimal facts approaches. So I just think it's a useful skill. I, I, when I started taking it and the guy was like, you should negotiate everything. It's useful for everything. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I am already doing the course. You don't have to sell me on it anymore. And then now that I've actually done negotiating a little bit, I'm like, yeah, that definitely really is useful for everything. Another really good book that I read when I was in seminary um, back in Minneapolis is called Getting to Yes, which is probably a similar book to the one Jesse recommended. Um, it's written by Roger Fisher and William Uri. And um, it comes out of what's called the Harvard Negotiating Project. And the nice thing about the book Getting to Yes, I think it's a similar idea to the, the book Jesse recommended, is you know we think about negotiating as a, as a win-win um, or, or really it's more like a lose, lose. We think about compromise. Um, you know, you, I'm coming up from the price I want to come up, come, come from, and you're coming down. And so we're actually both losing. Neither of us are winning, but if you can get to negotiating and thinking about, right, what do I need to give this person? So they feel good about this deal without sacrificing the things I need. So I feel good about this deal. That's going to be a much better scenario and a much more successful scenario. So yeah, I mean, I guess this is like the reform negotiating cast at this point. <laughs> so we should probably just hit the brakes and move on. But I can't recommend this skill uh, enough. It really has application almost anywhere you can think of it. Uh, the guy who was teaching the course even said like one time he went to Target and just to see if he could, he negotiated a, the cost of a pair of jeans down and he didn't get the cost on the pair of jeans down. What he ended up doing is he they, they threw in like a bottle of soda or something like that. He, he said, well, I, I, I get that you can't come down on the prices that's set by corporate, but could, could you complimentary give me a bottle of soda? Since I've been in your store for a while, it's quite hot. It would be really nice if I had something to drink. And the manager was like, you mean if I give you a $1 bottle of soda, you're going to buy these jeans right now? And he's like, yeah, of course. Well, he, what he did is he just got a soda that he probably would have been buying anyways for free because he asked the question. So just check it out. I can't say, I can't recommend the skill and, and these different ways to learn it enough. It really is an amazing beneficial skill for everybody to have. In some ways, wouldn't you say it's kind of like redeeming the times? I think for some Christians, the idea of negotiation sounds dirty and icky because mm -hmm. it's this idea that one person wins and the other loses yeah. and that's combative. And all these resources are really focusing on and it, it, getting more, maybe just like getting to yes, 
they also have, there's a lot in there about interpersonal, intramural relationships and how, again, like whether it's your right. spouse or your family, it's okay to try to understand from each other. This is no different in some ways than like he's re- recapitulating something like the five love languages, you know, like right. understanding what is valuable to you may be different than your partner, your spouse, your friends, and that's okay. So just right. try to understand that. You can actually yeah. get more for everybody if you were to listen and move in that direction. So I'm proud of us for bringing this up. Yeah. You know, this is, this is quality. This is good stuff. And also I'm proud of you for finally drawing a line between negotiating and sky daddy. That was always sky something daddy. that I wanted to yeah. try to bring together. And you just did that. I'll be like, I will give you $15 if you never bring up the flying spaghetti monster again. How about that for an apologetics encounter? <laughs> that's my tradable. Yeah, that's fantastic. So how about you, Jesse? What are you affirming today? Mine is super quick, quick and super easy and maybe a quip as well. And that is, I've just been on a kick of getting some super sweet extensions for Chrome. And I found two that I'd like to affirm with. They're easy. One is called Push to Kindle. And this allows you to take a web page and push it to your Kindle. End of story. <laughs> and, but it's super awesome. It makes the reading experience really great. So I don't know, maybe you're browsing, you're searching the web, you find an interesting article and you're like, yes, but not now. Or I do want to read this, but I like to take it with me or have it available to me. So go check out Push to Kindle. You can just drop when you're on that page, just hit the button and it shoots it in a format that's great to your Kindle. And everybody's super happy and you just got a whole lot more. The second one is called one tab. And this is a little bit more interesting because my computer is really slow. As we'd say in new England, it's wicked slow, wicked slow. And so what one tab does is when you have a bunch of tabs open, you can click this little extension and it basically saves them all as links in a single tab. So you're not consuming a ton of memory. And then you can go back to that later on and open up one or several. You can create all these kind of bespoke little curated one tabs. So basically it's holding an abeyance, like all access to these sites that you really like, and you can really open and close them as you desire, but you can do so in like mass. So nice. one tab, push to Chrome, some fun little Chrome extensions for you this week. Yeah. Little known fact, the vast majority of our pre, uh, pre, show conference is just Jesse trying to figure out which program is causing his computer to crap out. <laughs> so that's, if, if you ever wonder why we're less prepared, that's probably because that's why we, we spend most of our time doing that. That's a joke. That's not really true. Jesse's computer is sufficient for the need. So, and he's very fiscally responsible. It I is, but it's, it's old. Much. It it's, is. It's old. It's coming up in a decade now, which. Yeah. You got that computer for Christmas the first year that I came and joined the family at Christmas time. So. That is wild. Yeah. So that, 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 uh, that computer predates my marriage. <laughs> so, which is impressive in its own right. Like I can't go, I, I can't like get more than one, one model year passed on an iPhone before I'm itching for an upgrade. And you're, you're dealing with like technology that was susceptible to the Y2K virus. <laughs> That's also not true. I'm a little punchy today. Uh, no, I love this. So since since you are and I am a little bit too, where I mean the cold medicine is making this uh, episode excellent for me. Let's get into this whole topic yeah. that we have on tap for today, which is really the fall, but we're talking specifically about the nature of sin. Yes, and we might at this point, like I wish we, I wish we lived in a day and age where we could actually have access to the Puritans and recording yeah. sound bites, because then we, what we do right now is just stop this and play every Puritan's definition of sin in their own voice, because there's plenty, plenty, plenty out there. Yeah. So, but I, I like that this is where we're starting as kind of a place to center ourselves in this topic, because here's what I would say. So can we just admit, so just in case anybody stumbled upon this conversation and is like, Reform Brotherhood, what does that mean? Let me just listen to these guys because they look so handsome on the icon. <laughs> sin is a patent fact. You know, right. the reality doesn't need to be argued. And it's a fact of experience. It's a fact of observation and it's one of revelation as well. It's something that I feel in my own heart. I'm going to sense that, that everybody who's listening to some degree feels it as well. If they've been regenerated, it's something that I see in others, even those whom I love the most. And it's something that's revealed of course in the Bible. And so I was thinking just this week, knowing we we're going to talk about this and reading through the wall street journal, looking at the headlines, of course, and everything that's going on in our world. And it's easy to see that the policeman pursues it. The physician prescribes for it. The law tries to discover it. Conscience condemns it. God controls it and punishes it. And yet nobody likes to own it. Even me. Yeah. So here we have it one way, like this very blatant, obvious thing. But the reason why we want to talk about the nature of sin and what it is, even for the Christian, we need to be able to articulate, and I think clearly and cogently, especially to a world that wants to explain sin, but in explaining it, just explain it away. Yeah. So I'm glad that this is the place that we're beginning. 
Yeah, and you know, on one level, um, the question "What is sin?" is a super simple answer, right? It, it, on one level, it's so straightforward that it, it, it's like a sentence, right? And where right. would we find such a sentence except for the <laughs> Westminster Shorter Catechism? <laughs> and it's found in Question Fourteen. It says, "What is sin?" And the answer is, "Sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God." And now, one of the things that just maybe like to zoom out a little bit and just a, maybe like a minor lesson in how to use confessions and catechisms. One of the things that I think is helpful when trying to figure out how complicated a doctrine is, is to see the difference between how complicated the answer is or how many questions are dedicated to a particular question or theme in the Westminster Shorter Catechism versus the larger catechism. Right. And the reason is because the Shorter Catechism is designed for laypersons, primarily for fathers to teach their children and, and their wives' theology from a layperson's perspective. And then the larger catechism was really designed more for teaching and training and holding accountable ministers. So it's it's got a higher level of specificity, higher level of technicality. But on this question, uh, which it's question 24 in the shorter or the larger catechism, it just says, what is uh, sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of any law of God given as a rule to the reasonable creature. So the only difference is that they're specifying in the, the larger catechism that sin isn't a category that applies to lower creatures who don't, who lack rationality. But other than that, the question and answer are basically identical, which tells you that this is one of those like bedrock, straightforward right. ground level doctrines of Christianity. They're, they're the, the people out there now, we're going to talk about the tech, some technical things. We're going to talk about some of the complexities of sin and the different shades of meaning and nuance. So don't hear me wrong on saying this. But the people out there that want to nuance sin into the ground, they want to define it and redefine it and undefine it and do all this stuff to it and make it just really like hard to understand. I'm thinking like uh, the revoice theology, which tends to want to redefine sin as like brokenness or sin right. as like... Right. A lack of, of beauty, like these, these like sort of ethereal definitions that don't, they don't really mean anything. Um, they have like these empty content kind of definitions. There are other liberals who make sin just like a lack of, I don't know, pleasure or a lack of, of, uh, causing harm, like this minimal definition, like sin is anything that causes harm. People who want to try to overly define this or fail to define it in any sort of clear way. We should probably look at that with a, with a modicum of suspicion, with a, with a bit of suspicion, because there's usually something else going on. Because the Bible as it presents sin is literally as simple as this. God, God has a standard, and if you don't meet that standard, then that's sin, right? Now, we, we will talk about like the difference between a transgression and iniquity, and we'll talk about is sin a privation, or is, like we'll talk about those technical things a little bit today, and then, of course, as we go on to other elements of this. But at a, at a baseline... Sin is like the most straight, one of the most straightforward doctrines that there is. There's a holy, righteous God. That holy, righteous God has holy, righteous expectations. And if you fail to meet those expectations, whether it's failing to do the right thing or doing something that is the wrong thing, if you fail to meet those expectations, you have sinned against that holy and righteous God. And that holy and righteous God will punish that sin. So, you know, we could... Record scratch, stop, end the episode. That's it. You guys get a break. It's only half an hour long. We're not going to do that, but we could, and that would be a sufficient episode um, because this is one of those things that Christians really need to understand because if you don't understand the sickness, you can't understand the cure. If you don't get what is wrong with humanity and how it was, how it got to where it is, then whatever you come up with for the cure to humanity, however you articulate that out of the scriptures is going to be off base. And usually... Uh, a failure to understand the severity and the nature of sin yields itself to a failure to understand that we can't get ourselves out of it. We think of the sin in a low sense or in a, a sort of a sliding scale sense. And then we, we kind of come to the logical conclusion that, well, if skin is, if sin is just a, just a, like a less than ideal situation, like you could have done better. Well, then you can always do better. You can always try harder. You can always get closer to the mark. And as long as, as long as sin isn't, anything short of perfection, which is what sin is, then we, we feel like we constantly have to strive to get a little bit closer, a little bit closer, a little bit closer. But in reality, it's not a continuum. It's not, this is a little bit more sinful. This is a little bit less sinful. There are elements of some sins are worse than others, but that's not what I'm talking about. It's not like sin happens in degrees. It's a binary distinction. Either something is sinful 
and it merits the full wrath of God for eternity, or it's not sinful and it doesn't merit the full wrath of God for eternity. If anyone is trying to put you on a spectrum where like, well, it only merits a little bit of God's sin, like God's wrath or like, well, it's a sin, but it doesn't actually merit God's wrath. Then you're just not talking about a Christian theory, a Christian theory of sin anymore. I'm glad you brought it up that way because I think you're right in that so many of the modern definitions of sin are like clinical or psychological. And so right. they are really cheap because, and somewhat ironic, aren't they? Because we'll say things like, what well, is brokenness? And that is, of course, the mistake that leaves for the tree. But it's this idea that, well, you know, because even in brokenness, it could be like, well, there's a beauty in being broken. Mm-hmm. And of course, like uh, repair only comes once something is broken. And the bottom line is it's, there is like, like you mentioned already, like sins of omission and commission. But I would say as well, like we're talking about it being fundamentally against God. Uh, so there right. is that failure to live as the image of God. There's also that volition, that hard heartedness, that clenched fist on the inside that just hates God. Right. So it's being against God. So all of the accounts, of course, depicting the fall suggest that sin, of course, is a rebellion against God. And I would go even further. Well, the Bible, of course, already intimates this, but I'm just going to say it outright. It is establishing us as covenant breakers, lawbreakers, right. failing to live as image bearers by serving as the kings and the priests according to his will and on his mission. That original serve and protect, which was to go into the garden as our volitional choice that would be totally aligned with how we felt and what we thought. And then it just spilled over into what we did. So there was no disconnect there. And so these cheap definitions, again, want to focus, or even if they get, like you said, overtly theological to a degree that they become like mushy in that you don't really understand them. What we just need to understand is that sin is at its root rebellion. It's always in every way rebellion. So of course, like from rebellion, there's going to be brokenness and sadness and disconnection and hurt and pain and abuse. But that itself, again, is like to me symptomatic of the fact that we just don't on our own, the natural state want to have anything to do with God. Yeah. And Adam made that choice before you and I could, but we would have made it all the same. Right. So in his first representation, he's just doing the very thing that I would do today if you gave me that full chance, apart from the great and glorious grace of God himself. So it is like a battle. And I think that in the sense that we ought to like just be honest with the fact that we are against God. Sin at his root is that thing. Then it wipes away like all the other nonsense for the most part in the sense that yeah. it's like, you know, Again, like psychological, or we can if we do more things, or if we can do. Well, isn't there like, isn't there like a great uh, is it G.K. Chesterton quote or something like that about like there was a in his local paper somebody the publisher asked for people to write essays on what is wrong with man and he wrote back like dear, dear sirs I am sincerely yours yeah. you know like again this idea that at the root and that's why I say like I know that there's some maybe within our hearing who will think that what I've just said maybe what you said as well is like too extreme. That what we're saying is like, no, 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 it's not that bad. Again, or you need you need to understand like the grace of God. Like I'm saying, yes, yes to all those things. Right. Except that it is that bad. It's yeah. probably even worse than we can conceive of, actually. Right. Yeah. And so it's better just to begin there. Yeah. And you know, because I think there's two things that you said that I really wanna really wanna follow up on and, and emphasize. Because sin is a transgression of the law of God, and as the the larger catechism expands, and it's the transition of the law of God, which was given to rational creatures. Yes. Then you're absolutely right. It all sin always takes place in the context of this is gonna sound like I'm being mushy and, and ethereal. Sin always takes place in the context of relationship, and that's because relationship has covenant elements. Whether there's a formal covenant or not, any right. relationship has this sort of give and take understanding that you know, this, this is the terms of our friendship. These are, this is how our friendship works. These things are appropriate. These things are not, that's all there, even if it's not formalized. And with sin, it is always, always, always a covenant breaking, right? The moral law precedes the covenant of works. So, so there are moral elements woven into creation and Adam would have been obligated to follow those, but it would not have been the same. It wouldn't have been considered. I don't think it would have been considered sin in the same way, apart from this law of God, which was given to the creature. Right. So the other element that I want to want to focus on is because this is a sin that is against an infinite God. It's it's a it's an infinitely falling short right. of God's standard because God is infinitely righteous. So it's not you know if if I if if Jesse and I have certain terms and conditions of our of our you know our friendship here and our relationship whether they're spoken or not that's not an infinite thing right my offense against Jesse is necessarily a finite offense 
because the nature of creatures is that we're finite. Now I don't really, I, I can't like explain exactly what I mean by that, but I think, I think people get it Right on. when we're talking about a relationship with the infinite God, when we fall short of his infinite standard of righteousness, you're right. It's far worse than we can ever comprehend because it's not just bad. It's not just really bad. Sin against God is infinitely bad. When, when we sin against God, it is an infinitely wicked act. Um, it, it might be the only thing that temp, like temporal finite creatures can do that are that's sort of infinite is that we, we fall short of God in a way. It's not like, um, I forget the guy's name, but it's, it's an old philosopher and he, he did this thought exercise about a race, you know, and, and he, he would say, Achilles takes off running and, um, he runs ahead and then he stops and you, all you have to do to catch up with him is close the distance by one half and then close the distance by one right. half and then close the distance by one half. And, and the point he's making is that if, if you continue to conceptualize closing the distance by one half, you can never actually close that distance because you can always subdivide that distance by one half more. And so even though I think mathematically, this is a little bit fallacious, philosophically it makes sense is that the distance between two points actually has an infinite number of points to traverse. Well, in terms of how sin works, it actually is literally an infinite distance because the standard is infinite righteousness and our response is is sinfulness that can never be closer to righteousness because it can never actually be further away because it's this infinite, infinite distance. So I think that's important for us to land is sin is a really, really, really big deal. And that the part of the reason that we can't we can't save ourselves, we can't redeem ourselves, is because of this concept of an infinite distance that, frankly, I think a lot of other parts of the Christian tradition just miss entirely. Right. right? We, they conceptualize sin as though it's kind of this like, well, I fell short of the mark, but, um, you know, I'm not as bad as I could be. Um, you know, and I, like I make some good decisions and some bad decisions. Like this goes back to like the kind of conversation I've had in the past about like how much of their salvation was you? Was it 1% or 50%? Right. Like it, it, those kinds of conversations only work in a situation where you actually think that man can traverse some of the distance between God and man. That somehow by our own effort, we can cover some of the distance, but we, we absolutely can't because sin is this infinite offense against infinite God. And it's so tragic, of course, and it's like that infinite nature in our falling away from God as well, right? This idea that like, we've already talked about this at length, that we, we saw man as he was as God to made him like lovely right. and a happy creature. And the way we view, man, we, we view man now is as he has basically unmade himself. And so right. we see him as like sinful and a miserable creature. And that sad state we are brought to in the fall is a state as black and doleful as the former was glorious. And that really is what we commonly call this idea of like the state of nature or man's natural state, according to what Apostle Paul says, like in Ephesians 2, where among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So this language that the scriptures give to us to articulate, I feel like sometimes like the modern preacher, maybe the postmodern preacher, but more like the modern preacher, has done us a disservice in some ways by focusing on this idea of like, you you, you hear people explain sin, like what it means like etymologically is like, well, it's like an arrow. It's like missing the target. But that, that gives you the sense, like you're saying, of like, well, how close is it to the target? Like, how far right. am I away? Like, in your mind, there's always a sense that there's no great, really, consequence in slightly missing. It's almost like, it's weird to say, like, you miss it, because it's like, you're not even in, like, you, you set right. the target on fire, because you hated everybody, and you yeah. hated the person who set it up for you. And then you didn't only, it, like, you turned 180 degrees and shot as far away as possible as you could to try to do, hit something else that you weren't supposed to hit, like to hit yeah. a bird, or yeah. a dog, or a cat, uh, puppy, or something. Yeah. A puppy is worse than a dog. That's like, it, yeah, it's, you're right. It, like some of those analogies, like, yeah, etymolo- etymologically, although to be honest with you, I've never actually been able to track down the etymology of the, the Greek word hamartia and how it's related to archery. So I've heard that said in like a thousand sermons. It's, like, ne- it's one of those things I've never actually found a lexical entry that talks about that word as being related to archery. But I mean, th- this does get into a conversation of like the scripture uses different words for sin, right? It's transgression, iniquity, yes. um, just the word hamartia, which is sin, which is apparently a, a term for missing the mark. Um, all of these things give us different shades of like what it means, like transgression. Like, yeah, well, it's the violation of a known, a known boundary or a known right. precept. Okay. Well, that's important. Like 
or iniquity. Like it's, it, that's failing to live up to. It's like an inequity. It's a, it's, this is what was expected of you and you didn't balance out that expectation. That, that's iniquity. But I think sometimes when we get so bogged down in these different kinds of words and, and trying to understand what they mean, we do miss that exactly. These are word pictures to try to help us understand things. But at the end of the day, it's not as simple as just walking across a boundary, right? People talk about transgression as though it's like, it's really just as straightforward as like, you know, like you step foot over into someone else's land. It's right. really not like that. I mean, right. it, it is in a sense that there is a known boundary and you willfully cross over it, right? It's not the case that you accidentally cross over it. You will, you see the boundary, you make a conscious decision to ignore the boundary and step over it. Um, but I think some of those discussions can miss the point because then it, they do start to come into conversations of like, well, how far over the boundary was exactly. the boundary clearly marked? Did other people go over that boundary and not get in trouble? Right. Maybe the boundary should be somewhere else. All of these kinds of conversations, they miss the point entirely. The fact is God as the creator of the universe has a right to set whatever standards and restrictions he wants, period, full stop. When we decide that we don't like those restrictions and we're going to ignore them, that's sin. And it's as simple as that, whether we know about the, the boundary or we don't know about the boundary, whether we, we know about the expectation and we think somehow we could have measured up and we chose not to, it doesn't matter. Whether we were aiming at the target and just missed or got distracted or whether we were just, we didn't even care about the target and we actually, we actually like shot an arrow at the kid standing next to us, right? N none of that matters in the long run. The simple fact is sin is deadly because it is as to, to quote, R.C. Sproul here, not, not to quote him in the final analysis, but to quote R.C. Sproul here, sin is treason, right? And what is the penalty for treason? If you commit treason in the United States, you are likely to face the death penalty, depending on the nature of the treason, right? right? So, so when we're talking about treason against an infinite God, there, you really cannot get more serious than that. And that's where I think, you know, I, I'm glad we sort of framed this conversation to start here. Because when we start to talk about like, okay, well, now we're going to talk about the actual fall. What actually happened in the garden? Then we're going to talk about, all right, well, how does that, how does that kind of like transmit? What did that do to Adam's nature? How does that affect us? How does it trickle down to us? We're going to talk about things like, all right, how, how much of the, our, how much of our nature is affected by it? What's the, what's the scope of sin? All of those are really important conversations. But if you start off misunderstanding the total, the total destruction and the total right. violation that sin is, the, the the absoluteness of the wickedness that sin is, if you don't start there, all of those questions are going to get sideways real fast. You're going to start to say things like, well, like I've actually heard people make the argument like, well, Eve, we can't really blame Eve because she, you know, she's never seen a serpent before. Like she, she didn't have any reason. She was innocent and naive. So of course, when the serpent said, this, she had no reason to, she'd never been told a lie, but like, that's just BS. And I, when I say BS, I mean bad stuff. That's just bad stuff <laughs> because it, it, it is excusing it. Right? right. And that starts off with this idea that sin can be negotiated. Yes. We can negotiate to not, not, not purposefully come back to my <laughs> affirmation, but we can negotiate what sin actually is. We can, we can try to try to wiggle it around and make it less, less severe than it is. Or sometimes maybe we make it more severe than it is for a purpose. We miss the fact that sin is an absolute reality. There's no changing it. Either you violated God's law or you didn't violate God's law. In a certain sense, in a lot of ways, whether you knew you violated God's law or not really doesn't matter. Right. Exactly. Because like if I'm going down the road and I'm doing 75 and it's 35 miles an hour and the cop pulls me over, I'm not going to get away from that ticket by saying, I didn't know that the speed limit was 35. He's going to go, I don't care if you knew you were going more than twice the speed limit. You're going to get a ticket. I'm probably going to take your car and we're going to send you to court. Right now. Now take that and magnify it to infinity. God doesn't care that you didn't know his standard because one, you did know his standard. Right. And two, even if you actually didn't, it still is a violation of God's law an infinitely righteous and holy standard. And would you say like, there's also, it seems possibly, and I, this goes back to you saying kind of like maybe the only infinite thing a finite person can do is this like infinite disobedience, essentially this idea that like, to me, I think of the law again, being like all these cinder blocks that are like over my head and yeah. at any point they, they could crush me uh, because yeah. like that is the point is that we have to have some sense that 
the law of God is so comprehensive that we use these different words to at least describe in some way like volition or acknowledgement. Right. But even those fall short because it doesn't matter. The law is there and it is over your head whether you acknowledge that it is there or not. And yeah. even even if you're you're not cognizant of it, that God has these standards for what it means to be a human being, and that almost everything we do, every breath we take, in some way pushes against those things, if not actively rebels against them. And that is, like you said, in R.C. Sproul language, cosmic treason. Right. And we understand what it means to be betrayed. To because that's what we're talking about here. Treason is is a sense of betrayal. It is right. knowing something is good, being like you said, in basically in a covenant relationship, and then breaking covenant not accidentally but purposefully right. and unapologetically. And yeah. so that's what we're up against here. So like when we'll and we'll probably get into this next week. We start to talk about like the nature of sin and its original consequences, and we see you know the f- at least five or six different words that the scripture is going to use talking about shame, estrangement, fear, alienation, pain, and sorrow. Once again, some people will take those as the center, but right. those have come out of this active rebellion. Right. They only exist because their root was rebellion. It was a centeredness on self and not on God. That, as you said with the Eve example was a volitional choice to say, I don't want your way. I right. don't want who you are. I am willing to to break these rules. And every day since then, you know, the giving of the law, you know, it just, it just can't get us anywhere. All it gets us is this understanding that when you think about it, to some degree, as God opens our eyes, we're just like, man, I am infinitely disobedient. Right. There's like so many ways for me to be disobedient, right? So many ways, like so yeah. many things, because the last thing I'll say to your point was, I think what you were, you were adeptly hitting on is that, um, I'm just going to say, intent precedes content, people. So like, <laughs> listen, you got to get in where you fit in, people. Yeah. So the thing is, when it's not just about what you do, of course, and so there's so many ways that I can infinitely break the word of God, the covenant of God, the, the life that I ought to live right. in God, just in the way that I'm thinking about things, that my proclivity towards selfishness and self-centeredness automatically makes it easy for me to sin against God whether or not I even act on that. And that's to say, of course, that thoughts on their own are not sin. Temptation is not itself sin. But I think hopefully people are seeing my point. That it's just, yeah. just like Jonathan Edwards sinners in the hands of anger God. He basically said, you don't need anything to slip. All you right. need is your own weight. And I have all of that within me. And so there's like an infinite number of ways that just sitting at my desk here, I could commit literally innumerable sins right. against God by doing nothing outwardly. That yeah. is a terrifying thought. But it's, it's a thought that is completely commensurate and comes right in the center of the fall that we're going to talk about next week, because it wasn't, again, about the predominantly about the act. It is everything that precedes that act, that heart that volitionally decides to turn against God. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's as good of a place for us to put, you know, put a pin in this until next week. Um, we really can't emphasize enough that sin needs to be taken seriously. It yeah, needs right to be taken seriously. If you don't take sin seriously, both theologically, right? If you don't take sin seriously from a theological perspective, it's going to screw up all your dogmatics. It's going to screw up your whole theological system. You're going to get the you're going to get the incarnation wrong. You're going to get the the salvation wrong. You're going to get an understanding of eschatology wrong. Everything's going to be wrong. But just on practical level, if you you know just just say it like to quote Owen, like either you're killing sin or sin is killing you. Like there's right. no. There's no uh, middle ground there. Uh, either you're actively fighting sin, or sin is actively overcoming you. Now, of course, we'll you know we'll get there when we get to like sanctification, like 20 years down the road here. <laughs> of course, like this is all by the Holy Spirit that we fight sin. It's actually yes. the Holy Spirit fighting sin in us, not right us on. fighting Holy but fighting sin. But the fact of the matter is, if you do not take sin seriously in your life, like may, maybe it's uh, this is going to sound super judgmental. This is just my life. So, so don't, don't, if, if this doesn't land on you or it doesn't convict you, then just ignore what I'm going to say. I struggle with speeding so bad. I so desperately want to get where I'm going in, in a faster time that I will sometimes just, it's hard for me not to speed. And I had an experience, I don't know, gosh, it was probably nine, almost 10 years ago now where I got busted for speeding in a pretty significant fashion. And I threw myself, I literally threw myself on the mercy of the court and I use the words, I repent and I, I should not have done this. And there's no reason for you to be merciful to me, but I cannot possibly pay the fine that you're about to levy on me. So please show me mercy. And they did. Right. But I struggle with speeding so much 
I have to like use my cruise control even when I'm like driving to the, to the gas station like down the road. It's like two minutes away. I use my cruise control. And the reason that's this, this is the example. The reason that speeding is such a struggle for me is because I'm fundamentally impatient. I'm fundamentally uh, selfish. I'm fundamentally lacking in wisdom. I'm fundamentally um, eager to get what I want faster. Right. So, so something as simple as disobeying this posted speed limit, which I believe Christians have an obligation to, to obey because the civil magistrate has a right to dictate that. But either way, whether it's something small like that or something big, like, you know, actually like embezzling hundreds of thousands of dollars or committing adultery or right. murdering, like whether it's a small thing or a big thing. All of those boil down to things that are going on inside of us. And if we don't take that seriously, sin will eat us from the, from the inside out. And of course, we'll get into regeneration. We'll get into, we'll get into the corruption of sin in this, this immediate series. We'll get into regeneration and sanctification later on in this sequence. But we, we have to take sin seriously, both practically and theologically, or we are, we are done. We are done and done, and we'll get overcome by it, and, and it's all over. And that's not to say we can lose our salvation. Um, it might be to say we were never saved in the first place if we're not taking sin seriously. Sure. But um, I think that's the best place to leave leave the topic is you, you've got to take this seriously. I know it seems like we're overemphasizing that, but we really can't. That's how important it is. It is important. And we see that not only ought we take it seriously just in the face that we described it here, but of course we see our Savior take it very seriously. This is how we know that it was a serious matter before God. We've spoken about him extensively as just and justifier. You can go back and listen to our whole series. We talk about theories of the atonement. But this idea that especially as some, depending on when you're listening to this, if you're in the cycle of the church calendar where you're approaching Easter, then this is a reminder that when we find Jesus in the garden, that this great weight, this agony that he's under, of course, isn't principally or maybe at all about the physical death that he knows lies before him. But it's about the punishment and the wrath of the right. Father that he's about to bear. And it is agonizing to him because it's a serious thing. This isn't, to your point, this is not like, just try a little harder or you'll do better next time. Right. Or, you know, sometimes we don't get it right and that's okay. You'll just pick yourself back up. So, you know, the biblical story sheds so much light on sin, but clearly sin is only the backdrop. It's never the point. It emerges in God's creation, as we'll talk about next week, as a temporary intruder. It causes much havoc and it holds many in its clutches, but it's really no match for the work of God in Christ. Through yeah. his sinless life, his sin-bearing death, his sin-defeating resurrection, and sin-crushing second coming, try saying that four times fast, <laughs> sin and its offspring of suffering and death are given the death blow, to quote Owen a little bit there at the end. So, there is good news, but there is always in every way the law first. Yeah. And through the law comes our acknowledgement and understanding of this thing we call sin. Yeah. Well, something else that we take very seriously is growing the Reformed <laughs> Brotherhood. How do you like that one? Uh, that probably so like counteracts everything I just said about taking sin seriously that I just used a cheap pun to transition to talking about selling stuff. So something we do take very seriously uh, in a totally less serious way than we take sin is uh, this little thing we call the Reformed Brotherhood. So we have a number of ways that you can get involved. Uh, we talked about the Telegram channel. That's what I want you to do the most right now. If, if you were to say to yourself, yes. what is it that Jump Tony in. wants me to do? I want you to join the Telegram channel. But if you've already joined the Telegram channel or you just for some reason are not going to join the Telegram channel, you can check out uh, reformbrotherhood.com. There's a little button that says join the Brotherhood. And there are a number of things you can do to get involved. Um, if you want to support the show, you can uh, hop over to uh, patreon.com slash reformbrotherhood and you can sign up to be a supporter. Really helps us keep uh, our overhead costs covered so we don't have to worry about paying those out of pocket and, and trying to figure out where that money's going to come from. Uh, it does make Jesse's voice sound like it's not in a tin can uh, when Tony <laughs> remembers to use the right equipment, uh, but it also does things like pays for hosting fees and whatnot. Another way you can get involved is if you go to that same page, there's an option to go to our merch store. We do have quite a bit of stuff. Uh, that you can purchase. And all of it, uh, we try to keep the overhead low, but there's usually just a tiny bit of overhead and that extra little bit goes into the Reform 
brother a bank account uh, to help us cover some of those same costs. You can get uh, sweet uh, mugs. You can get pint glasses. You can get some cool stickers, and there's some T-shirts. We do have some other stuff coming out um, that I'm working on that uh, hopefully people will like. And again, if you want to uh, have me put something up that you want to buy that isn't available, join that Telegram chat and message me, and I'll be happy to see if I can get that put together. If you're like, I would really like a Reform Brotherhood fanny pack, then yes. let me know, and I can Let's probably make that happen. happen. Or if you are one of those people that's like, I would like a barbecue egg apron that has Jesse and Tony's face on it, then I can make that happen. <laughs> There's all sorts of crazy stuff that I can can get on our uh, on our drop shipment uh, website. Yeah, and one of the things, like I said, I love about that group is you and I talk so regularly and also so casually. Yeah. Like this conversation, what others should know is like no different than like when you and I are together at any actual point in time. Right. This is the way that we talk and how it goes. So I forget that sometimes like there's a cadence, there's language that we use. So it's so fun to hear people say like, you should make this a t-shirt, like the Adventures in Romans one. I yeah. forgot that that was like a thing maybe that is somewhat unique to the way that we talk and it's become like its own little explanation. It's now those, that, those phrases, that phrase has become like something to describe something way larger that yeah. uh, would include a lot more words. So if you get ideas for things that you'd like to see, I suppose like on a shirt or a fanny pack in the Reformed Brotherhood, that's how you can jump into that conversation. And I will say, Tony, do you know what's been a real crowd pleaser recently in the Reformed Brotherhood store is the black t-shirt. I know. It's been a big, it's been a big seller. I yes. don't know why I turned into like a weird Mario style Italian. It's been a big seller. <laughs> Sleep deprivation, folks. It'll, it'll get you every time. Yeah. People love the black t-shirts. I would not have expected that because remember when we first got this new logo, we're like, oh man, it's not going to look so good on black because right. of the dark. You know, we were so sure it wasn't going to look good. We didn't even make black t-shirts. And then people are like, what is the deal with no black t-shirts? So we really want to listen to you guys. If there's something you want, I know I, I say it in kind of a jokey way, but if you have something you want that you would love to buy and get a Reformed Brotherhood uh, version of it, um, you know, maybe you want like a Yeti style tumbler or something like that. So you can have it for your coffee. You can have it at work. Um, let me know. I'm, I'm really, really open to trying to get that stuff put together if that's something that you think you would like and especially something you think other people would like. For sure. Well, I am desperate to sneeze because I've been holding one in for like <laughs> the last 20 minutes. So on that note, I'm going to say until next time, Tony, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Oh.